Hi, Mihir. Welcome to Network Capital. So delighted to have you with us. Um, your book, uh, The Untold Flipkart Story, Big Billion Startup, is absolutely gripping, but we'll come to that later. Um, I'm really interested through this podcast in talking to experts who come from different fields and essentially translate their mental models in an accessible way to our thousands of subscribers around the world. So let's get started. Uh, tell us who you are and what you do. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me here, Akash. Um, you know, it's, it's a real pleasure to be here. I've uh, seen some of, I've heard some of your podcasts before, and yeah, they're they're really interesting. And it, one can totally understand why you know the audio uh, medium is picking up. It's because of uh, comparing podcasts like these. Um, so yeah, a bit about myself. Um, I I'm a journalist. Uh, I've I'm a journalist with Mint, uh, which is uh, one of India's top financial dailies. Um, I've been a journalist for about 11 years and uh, from Bombay originally, but uh, have been in Bangalore for most of my professional life. Um, yeah, and Big Billion Startup is my first book. So yeah, that's, that's a bit about it. How did you decide to become a journalist? Um, so interesting. So I was actually studying uh, to become a chartered accountant in college. Uh, I was studying commerce uh, and my father is a chartered accountant. So he wanted me to do, uh, you know, the course like all CAs do with their kids. Um, but I, after passing the first exam, I, I found the course really boring. So I gave that up and um, I was looking for something to do. And I really liked reading. So, and I was fascinated by newspapers. Um, so yeah, so that's that's pretty much how I decided to become uh, a journalist uh, because I mean. And how did you get your first break? Um, so I studied at uh, I did my post graduation at Xavier's in Bombay, uh, and Xavier's has placements at the end of the course. It's a one year course, and CNBC um, actually was one of the recruiters. So that's how. So I joined CNBC from uh, Xavier's. Right, and. Uh, from then, 10 years of uh, doing what you do, what's the one thing that hasn't changed uh, in the industry? And what's one thing that you believe has changed so much that you can't recognize how journalism was 10 years, 11 years back and from what it is today? Um, so interesting, yeah. So one thing that uh, you know hasn't changed is the, the volatility and the uh, incessant pressure because, um, you know, I mean, journalism especially, so I started working at a TV channel and then I joined a wire service and both at, uh, you know, in TV channels and in wire services, speed is the most important thing. So that, so when you're at work, you know, there's this constant pressure to always be on as such, you know, you, you really cannot even switch off for like more than a few minutes. So I think that that is something which hasn't changed. I mean, after Reuters, I've been at Mint for more than seven years. And I think, um, you know, that that kind of um, uh, constant pressure and, you know, this pressure to be always on hasn't changed at all. The one thing that has changed dramatically is, um, you know, how news is consumed, right? So uh, back when I started 2008, internet wasn't really mainstream in India. It was only used by a very, very small number yep. of people. Uh, there were no smartphones at that time. Um, so now that you know you you have uh, everyone everyone has a smartphone, especially in the urban areas, you know that that has had a tremendous impact on the news business. And I think the pressures are being felt by journalists on an everyday basis. You know, how do you kind of ensure that you stay relevant? How do you ensure that uh, you know as an organization, like when the organization is trying to adjust and adapt to the internet how do you ensure how do you contribute to that and still not lose your sanity so i think that i think that is one big change that has occurred in the journalism business right and it meant you focus on long form journalism right yeah uh, over the past uh, one year uh, since last december i've been doing only features and long form uh, stories um, before that, I was uh, a news reporter. Uh, I I used to do long form occasionally, but yeah, over the past one year, I've been focusing only on features and uh, long form stories. So, uh, your latest book, uh, the Untold Flipkart Story. Uh, tell us about the early days. Like, how did how did this book come into being? What was the thought process like? Did it originate from one of the pieces that you'd done or thought about? Yeah, it's it's a mix mix of all these things. So, in fact, uh, I was asked, uh, I was approached by a publisher way back in 2015 
uh, you know about a book on startups because in 2015 i don't know if you remember but uh, you know uh, euphoria about startups was at its peak and yeah. um, you know uh, startup funding was at an all time high so generally there was just so much interest in the space and it's it's a very you know poorly under, understood space uh, you know by outsiders so there was tremendous interest but uh, so at that time i thought of a flipkart book because i'd been covering flipkart uh, that was the main subject of my coverage even then um but you know i i myself wasn't convinced about the idea because um like it wasn't sure where flipkart would head and would end up because you know at that time it was locked in a very um uh, uh, kind of uh, you know serious war with amazon and snapdeal uh, so it wasn't clear who would emerge as a winner it wasn't clear you know whether flipkart uh, would be the most dominant e-commerce firm in india etc etc so that kind of uh, you know died down and then in 2018 the walmart sale happened um you know so there was a definite end to the flipkart story so from the point of view of uh, you know there being a conclusion you had one so it it made complete sense to look at flipkart then as a start to finish story and uh, from my point of view uh, i've been writing on flipkart for more than 4 years by then and i was kind of confident about my ability to do a flipkart book because i'd written several long form stories several like hundreds of news articles on flipkart so i've been following the company for more than 4 years so both from the point of view of the story being compelling and my ability to deliver um, you know a flipkart book it, there was a uh, like both both were kind of you know uh, in place for me so yeah that's that's how the book came about as in like that's how i got thinking about it and then um it just happened because um uh, one of my acquaintances introduced me to a book agent and uh, you know he a different one from the one who had approached you a few years back correct yeah so the person who had approached me was actually at a publishing house at that mm-hmm. time uh so uh, uh, this acquaintance of mine uh, introduced me to a book agent and then uh, he was super interested uh, you know in a flipkart book and uh, i sent a proposal um actually, actually b- before i sent the proposal uh, it was supposed to be my colleague and i who were supposed to do the book together uh, my colleague at mint but that didn't work out because uh, you know she couldn't kind of spare the time uh, for this project so then uh, it was me and you know i wrote up the proposal very quickly and you know sent it to my agent and within a week of him pitching to publishers i mean you know it was very clear that yeah i mean we are going to get a book contract because i mean we got interest from five publishers um you know and everyone was like super excited about this book so that's how and then uh, there was an auction process and i think by october or so we had finalized october of 2000 october of 2018 okay last october yeah um so we had by then we had uh, kind of finalized uh, uh, we had narrowed down on pan macmillan uh, and yeah that's how uh, the contract came about so pan macmillan and the other publishers what aspect of the flipkart story were they most interested in um so i i think more than an aspect it was about you know flipkart because it is such a big brand it is also by far india's biggest startup success story so i think you know and the bunsers being entrepreneurial icons so everything you know i mean it just ticks every boxes in terms of it being a compelling story for any you know lay person so i think it was more about the like what you just generally you know know about something rather than a specific aspect of it right so i think that was the thing like you know it's flipkart it's big hmm. let's do it and uh, you have a very busy job with mint as you were explaining that uh, you do long form features before that you were a reporter um what was the process of writing this book like right so i started uh, so i i had submitted the proposal uh, to my agent uh, sometime at the end of july 2018 by early august we knew that there is substantial interest so i started immediately uh, uh, around like yeah, just early august second week of august so started how um so i started um, so i at that time i had a very vague idea of you know what the book uh, should be like so i started um, approaching people that i already knew um and uh, you know who were like key characters in the flipkart story so i started doing meetings for the book um and i think from august to december uh, to november end i was just uh, you know reporting uh, every day uh, you know uh, collecting material and then i started writing in december 
uh, that's when I that was actually one of the triggers for me to move to a new role uh, because I I just kind of become uh, you know bureau chief in Bangalore and it was a really hectic job so there was no way I was going to be able to do the two together so I decided to move to this new role because I was by then I was super excited about the book because you know the material that I was gathering it was just it just seemed so compelling because uh, before then I thought you know this is going to be like say you know kind of a straightforward business book. But within the first, uh, you know, two, three months of reporting, it became clear that this is an insane story. Uh, you know, so I was like really excited about the book. And that's when I decided to move to a new role so that I could, you know, give all my attention to this book. And then I started writing in December. Um, the first, uh, you know, two months, it went really, really slowly. Um, you know, originally I thought I would finish the book by March, but by, I think by mid-January or so, I had not even finished like I, I think I'd finish about two chapters or something. Which is what, thousand words, two thousand words. That is about um, six thousand words. Six thousand uh, words. Yeah. So yeah. So but but you know the book ended up being hundred and five thousand words. Right. So um, you know so it's it's actually <laughs> nothing, uh, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it started. Uh, I started in December, November and December, and I was done by um, I think. Uh, mid-June or so. Eddie's the first draft was done by the third week of June. So at some point, you must have accelerated the pace of your writing. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, so uh, again, over here, uh, you know, uh, so one of the reasons that we had gone with PanMac uh, over others was that I, I thought, uh, you know, my editor at PanMac, Tista, she was, like, she seemed like an excellent editor. So what happened was that I submitted the first two, three chapters after I was done. And um, so the first two, three chapters took the longest because, you know, I was trying to find the right voice, the right tone. Uh, I wasn't sure initially about what kind of book I wanted it to be. Yeah. And then after I submitted the first two, three chapters to her and, uh, you know, she got back to me, that is when it became much, much more clear as yeah. to how the book should be. Like, in, you know, like what form should be in. Should be like, should should it be a straightforward work of reportage? Should it be narrative nonfiction? You know, so we decided to make it into a work of narrative nonfiction. And yeah. I think that, so it was after the first two, three chapters and after I got, uh, you know, feedback from her, that is when, uh, you know, after that, it was much more straightforward. Yeah. Um, so I think from, say, Feb uh, uh, to I would say mid May, these three and a half months, they were like that's when I did most of the heavy lifting because after that it was just about you know kind of um, uh, like adding uh, like filling up the gaps and you know making it uh, read better and stuff like that. Yeah. But most of the actual writing work happened in these three and a half months. Yeah, uh, let's actually stay on that. So the first chapter starts way back. Right? right, their schooling, their college, their coaching institute, so on and so forth. How does a long-form reporter, how does anyone find out that level of research, what ha- went on in a hostel room, the very funny names that, <laughs> that people right. call each other? Right. Uh, how did you, like, what's the process of discovery? Right, yeah, so that's, that, that, that's actually... And you actually put the name in the book. <laughs> I was, I mean, yeah. like a lot of our non-Indian audience will not get it, but sure. it's... it's like a lot of you don't hear it in normal books. Yeah, yeah. So again, you know, there was a, there, I mean, I included these things for a reason because, um, I mean, p- part of the aim of the book is to also get inside the world of, in, inside this world, you know. So yeah. that also means bringing out the language of this world, you know, how people talk to each other, what their personalities are like. Yeah. And a lot of these things are really formed, you know, during your college years. 100%. You know, especially in this world and yeah. for people like who are in this world yeah so um uh, but one of the biggest challenges was actually to find any kind of um, you know written records of this time so which is why um most of the report uh, uh, like uh, the longest that the reporting work took was for the first two three chapters i can imagine um, yeah so i i also went to chandigarh to you know meet people from their school and that coaching class you actually went there no i went to the their schools so i, see. I went to uh, saint anne's and uh, uh, dps i see um, yeah so i met uh, you know such a school teacher and uh, you know so that was that that was like really fascinating because i also wanted to get a sense of you know the city that they grew up in 
um, you know, because Chandigarh is is not um, is is not a metro, is not a big city as such. Yeah. Um, and you know, both of them are from Chandigarh, and you know, there's so many people who uh, came from Chandigarh who are like big figures in the startup world now. Uh, not just necessarily came from Chandigarh, but studied there at some point or yeah. another. So that so it was very important to get a sense of that, and of course, their IIT Delhi days. You know, because IIT Delhi is really when they like when their personalities are forged as such into what they become uh, as adults. Yeah, and uh, all aspects of their personalities. Like you explain what they did absolutely. on a on a day-to-day basis, yeah. how remarkable or unremarkable they were in college. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so one of the things that I learned over there was, you know, this this kind of paradoxical thing, you know. So, uh, so when you get into an IIT, especially if you get into the computer science course at the IIT, you think, you know, you are... You think highly of yourself. Yeah, very highly of yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, when you go to college, when you actually do your course, most people just tend to be completely humbled by the experience because, you know, they think, you know, they're the best at whatever they do, but then they find at IIT that there's, like, literally, like, there are so many people who are better than them in almost everything that they do. So, you know, it, it kind of humbles them. But at the end of it, you know, if you kind of, come out and if you graduate, you still have that basic self-confidence and, you know, you are filled with this kind of weird self-confidence and insecurity because, you know, you are desperate to prove yourself. You Your deficiencies are also also become very clear to you because, you know, you've been so humbled in college. So it's a very weird mix. Uh, you know, so a lot of people who actually um, do not do that well in college, they tend to be among the most driven people and, you know, they tend to be like people who... Then I have to prove it to the world. Exactly. They have yeah. a point to prove and, you know, they, they try harder than, say, uh, people who would be like toppers or something, you know. So it, that was... So these are things, you know, that you only find out by speaking to people over there because there are no written records of this. Yeah. You can't, uh, you know, find written records of things like these. Um, because that, when I read that first few pages, of course, I was, you know, laughing with the terms mentioned, but also I was amazed by how did this person, like, how did Mihir actually get to know what happened in a uh, in a hostel room, like, many years back? I thought maybe he imagined it, but it turns out that it's narrative non-fiction. Right. Yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, everything in this book is, uh, is, is... It's backed up by research. Yeah, yeah, and it's fact. And it's, it's not something that, you know, I've made up or, you know, even, like... Uh, I mean, like even, you know, say like added masala to it or something. It's nothing is like that. Everything in the book is stuff that I have been told by people who witnessed it. Right. Um, So it's as simple as that. I have not included anything in the book that hasn't come from a direct source. And that was a conscious choice. Absolutely. To not embellish it. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, you know, for me, it it became a question of trying to... um, uh, like I had to exclude a lot of stuff that was very masaledar and you know that was very kind of scandalous because it just um, seemed like it's going to add masala to the book for the sake of it. It did not really add to the narrative. But it is weird that in this story, in fact, in most stories, you know, people imagine that uh, the writer or the journalist has added masala to make it more interesting. But over here, it was the other way around. Like I, I had to consciously avoid including some masaledar or scandalous stuff because it would have just brought scandal and nothing. Made the book less serious. Yeah, made the book less serious and also not added anything to the narrative of the book, you know, because at the end of the day, this is, I mean, it's an attempt to be a serious book, to produce a serious book. So um, there's a certain, you know, there are certain themes that are important in this book. So when you go by these themes, um, you know, the, the scandalous stuff and all, it, it would have really not added anything. You yeah. know, it would have just made the book masaledar. Um, but uh, uh, the challenge in those years, like, you know, the book starts from Amazon India, yeah. where the Bansals work. So both the Amazon India time and their IIT time, there is there are no written records. There are very, very few written records of this period. So this is where, you know, I had to speak to the most number of people to just make sure that I have How does one go about finding these people? Because you mentioned the locality where they used to stay and what was it look like? Where did they hang out? Right. So I think that's where your training as a, as a journalist would be super handy, I reckon. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's just about, so, you know, I would uh, start with people I know, 
they would you know mention certain names they would uh, talk to certain places i would ask them to introduce me to these people that they spoke about then you know you just keep uh, kind of uh, building on it then you know you meet someone new then that person gives you some really new and interesting information they uh, you know bring out more names you ask them to connect you to them and so it's yeah it's it's a lot of networking you know that's required yeah. um yeah especially for this period because again this is not a period that i myself saw because you know the last 4 years of flipkart i was covering it on a day to day basis so right. i knew all the major characters so you know in terms of um, like knowing them and having access to them and also having access to information that was far easier the real difficult pe- uh, period to track was like this you know the first two three chapters of the book yeah um in 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 this process of reaching out to this larger network in or associated with flipkart um did you get any pushback if yes what kind and what kind of uh, support if any did you get from people were some people really excited that you were trying to uh, go two levels deeper yeah i think um uh, uh yeah a few people were excited but not many um because you know flipkart is a very like there are a lot of controversial things that happened in the last few years of flipkart yeah. and given the kind of stories that i had written on flipkart before i mean everyone do you want to give a sense of it everyone may or may not have read those stories sure so basically you know stuff like how sachin bansal's exit came about uh, you know he was forced out of the company and it was it was a very ugly Uh, chain of events you know so i've written about that and covered uh, extensively in the book as well exactly it's it's in the book and uh, so uh, it's 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 in far greater detail in the book and there's a lot of new things in the book but even uh, before that i had written about it you know for mint uh, uh, as per you know whatever the format allows um, so given that you know people who knew me already had a sense of what kind of book this is going to be or at least you know what kind of a reporter i am they knew that it's going to be a controversial book so there was like from that point of view there was very little support as such you know mm. because i mean obviously they a, knew it will not be in uh, like in a shining report or exactly um, so they knew that it's going to be a you know balance account that will reflect what has happened at flipkart and what happened at the well it's you as journalists it's your job to push the boundaries absolutely yeah and and also you know um, so uh, some of the feedback you know that i've gotten um, you know from people inside flipkart or uh, you know certain people is that like i mean there's a quote unquote negative um, you know portrayal of certain people so my uh, you know view on that is that we don't like i don't look at it as a negative or a positive portrayal for me it's like the most important thing to bring out the truth to bring out what happened and if that ends up being negative or if, if that ends up being positive then you know it's it's, it's a it's byproduct a, exactly and it's an outcome of something it's not really you know what you start off with or you know what you even like consciously try to bring out or not bring out you you want to bring out what happened you want to bring out the truth and you know some people obviously would have fared uh, uh, well because of certain events some people wouldn't have that is just how it is so for me you know this whole positive negative thing it it doesn't it it doesn't really uh, uh, you know kind of affect me in any way got it in the book you uh, in most business books things like caste politics architecture these things are not covered but you i won't say you go into too much detail but you do touch upon the notion of caste the notion of politics and even architecture so i want to discuss caste and politics why did you decide to include it do you think there's an actually a correlation uh, absolutely in, yeah. absolutely i think um, you know uh, in fact uh, i was uh, you know listening to one of your podcasts uh, uh, with the historian and manu pillai yeah and you know he was talking about how uh, people in history uh, like historical figures they are also people uh, you know they are also i mean they also have uh things like you know anger lust uh, greed etc etc right so i think it's the same with you know businessmen i mean it's like if if caste is a factor if you know politics do play a role in society it cannot be you know that businesses exist outside of this you know th- like these things do play a role especially caste uh, because as i mentioned in the book um uh, you know the banya caste is responsible for a majority of successful entrepreneurs in india and i mean the, the evidence is just you know you cannot uh, uh, you know 
come to any other conclusion apart from this after looking at the evidence so for me it was also important to bring this aspect into uh, the book because it does play an important role and you know it doesn't get talked about because um, again there's one you know phenomena that i refer to in the book called the creation myth and you know all internet entrepreneurs have their own creation myths no one wants to talk about cars whereas cars actually plays a really really important role i mean even in flipkart's case you know the fact that sachin came from a business family like the conditioning first of all you know helped a lot secondly his father was supportive exactly when his he, father a lot know, of people from other middle class backgrounds will not find not, such right? parents exactly like you know uh, i mean there, there's again you know the th- thing about the third co-founder which yeah whose parents were really not supportive yeah. and with in sachin's case you know not only was his father supportive but he also provided a lot of practical help uh, in the early years and if his father hadn't you know done these things like it would have taken far longer for them to say get as simple a thing as a payment gateway you know so and and the site just would not have gotten off the ground and you know whether that would have crippled their ambition or not is an open question but you know these are important things to bring out um and again you know this 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 is one of the examples of why we've called it the untold flipkart story uh, you know because these things are not in uh, 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 like when you talk about the flipkart story as such you, no one talks about these aspects in terms of the po- politics of it i think um what was interesting to me was um you know that um like when say sachin and uh, vinny and uh, you know that iit classmates they they started working that was really they started working at a time when you know india was just when it, it was india's best economic period so you know their their idea uh, of uh, uh, like just their optimism about things is is far higher than someone you know who would have, who would have entered a uh, uh, working life in say in the 80s or the 90s so i think that that definitely plays a very important role just you know in terms of like the outlook that you have and um, even in 2014 uh you know when flipkart really became like the big company that we know it as uh, it was really after that 1 billion funding round over there as well you know after the bjp government was elected into power again there was this big hope that you know india's time has come and india is now you know going to uh, fulfill its potential and become a superpower or whatever so i think again you know these things i don't think are uh, uh, I mean there there's a connection between you know these things like yeah. uh the funding uh, boom in India the start of funding boom I'm not saying it was um you know entirely because of um the broader uh, kind of uh, economic macro trends yeah but certainly they played a role uh, you know so I think uh, that that is something that should be highlighted and again in 2016 you know when Sachin called for this kind of protectionism and all that again the mood in the country had turned towards that kind of thing because you know demonetization had just happened and you know there was this like whole nationalist fervor so i mean it it's important to kind of bring out that you know businesses are shaped to some extent by forces that are beyond their control so oh, absolutely in fact there is some research that says that uh, the most accurate factor that predicts us uh, the success of a business is timing right and in this case i'm not saying the timing worked very well for them but there is <clears throat> a correlation that your book explores. Oh, absolutely. No, no, you're you're completely right. In fact, I would say that, you know, timing was a crucial factor in Flipkart's success because I mean, e-commerce had been tried in India before Flipkart. Uh, you know, there were a bunch of uh, e-commerce companies that came up in the late 90s around the time of the first uh, dot-com boom. Yeah. Um, you know, but they collapsed simply because the macro trends just did not allow for internet businesses, did not allow for e-commerce businesses. there were not enough numbers of people using the internet there were not enough uh, uh, numbers of people who would you know trust buying something online simply because the internet was so new but by the time they started um, you know an e-commerce company internet penetration was far more than what it was in the 90s people had used the internet for a while of course the trust factor was very very low even then but that is what you know sachin and vinny really figured out they knew that you know if they get people to trust flipkart to deliver stuff to them that they've ordered it's as simple as that which most e-commerce companies would not do if they can overcome the lack of trust then you know they have the customers yeah. and then once they have the customers they can sell all kinds of things to them so i think these macro factors definitely did play a big role even in 2014 15 
you know this is when again internet uh, usage in india went mainstream because of uh, uh, internet consumption on smartphones it is very difficult to believe that flipkart would have become this massive company if it wasn't for these macro trends um personalities play a huge role and uh, you without embellishing you go into great details investors entrepreneurs employees um in the process of creating these characters what was the most challenging part and what was most exciting as a writer um i think what was the most challenging was that i did not have access to sachin and vinny for the book so they declined yeah, to you talk. talk about it in the end, end as well exactly. not even one interview right yeah so they did not uh, you know participate why do you all. think that is the case because i don't think you you barrage them saying that they're all evil yeah no i don't it's and, a pair, uh, like i mean if anything like you just go into details explaining why they did what they did and some of it or a lot of it is positive exactly yeah. uh, so that's the thing so i mean you know when i started uh, working on the book i was assuming that they would not participate again it it has a lot to do with the kind of stories that i had done uh, you know while uh, reporting on flipkart for men and because of the fact of their extremely controversial departures from flipkart i mean you know when a co-founder is forced to leave their company it is a very very big deal it is a very very you know ugly situation so given the controversial nature of their exits from flipkart i was assuming that they would not you know participate because and obviously you know they would also have non disclosure agreements etc etc so it was highly unlikely you know that they would participate but in terms of um, the most challenging aspect of uh, you know writing about them of course the lack of access was a big hindrance i think the other was um, you know just trying to put myself in their shoes um, and trying to uh, narrate the story as it happened rather than you know uh, uh, looking at it in hindsight and saying oh you know what they did this because this happened because you know what happened was really an outcome of uh, what they did and yeah. what they did was driven by what they were feeling yeah. at that moment so it was obviously challenging for me to put myself in their shoes of course you know all this is based on reporting and what uh, you know the material that i was gathering but without access to them to actually you know kind of empathize with them to understand why were they doing certain things that they did i think that was definitely challenging and that was also the most interesting uh, aspect of uh, you know writing about them because once you empathize you know with the people that you're writing about it also becomes challenging because um, then you also try and put yourself in their shoes and you know you would imagine the kind of uh difficulties and troubles and uh, you know ambitions and anxieties that they would have so from that point of view you know it it does become extremely interesting because you then uh, you know start looking at them as people rather than you know a ceo or yeah. some person you're writing about so yeah. yeah i think those it it was both interesting and challenging yeah and in the book there is a in depth coverage of the influence of the board new rounds of funding the new people hired in leadership positions as yeah. well um and especially these things will interfere with your empathy yes or no and if yes how oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean again look the empathy only comes once you've gathered the material you know because like ga- gathering the material means speaking to a wide range of people who saw and you know who participated in the flipkart story so once you gather that material then of course you know you have like all these various points of view that are competing you know and saying that oh look this i mean there's one like you know facts are one thing interpretation of facts is another so obviously you know everyone i mean everyone can agree on facts per se but you know what they mean is is like different and you know in flipkart particularly and that you know this is also one of the most challenging things about this was one of the most challenging things about the book because this was a company where there were so many different individual agendas yeah. that were you know driving the company and you know that were kind of determining the course of events so i think to understand you know where an agenda 
started and ended where it overlapped with another agenda i think that was again one of the most interesting things and one of the most challenging things about producing the book because i i don't think there's a there would be many companies like this where you would have so many you know different camps so many like just such a political kind of you know atmosphere at the very top of the company so just to kind of figure out you know these things and then um, make sense of them i think yeah it it does definitely it is challenging and it does affect your uh, you know uh, it, it does affect your understanding of events and i think because it does you do a great job of translating uh, the way you visualize the scenario to the book because you know i mean just like putting down the facts uh, as you do without the subtext would be less interesting i feel absolutely so just getting that subtext you know that that was the most important thing especially in the last 4 5 years because the facts of the last 4 5 years are pretty well established you know there are written records of these things so the facts are such of course it was a bit of a challenge to get you know the the uh, like some of the new details that i've uncovered in the book but more than that it was about understanding you know why are these things happening mm-hmm. so i think getting the subtext it was the most crucial thing Uh, yeah about especially in the second half of the book because you know it's it's not very clear in some cases as to why things were happening because i mean say for instance you know when um, uh, kalyan krishnamurthy was brought in as ceo and you know he uh, i mean he was first brought in you uh, know in, in a kind of a vague role but then as he was a shadow made, board member in uh, the company as a, as a uh, as a shadow not not a shadow but as a temporary know, hire in exactly, the company yeah, yeah. Uh, but in a very powerful role yeah but then he delivered an excellent performance and then he was rewarded for his role as ceo so one would imagine that you know that he's helped the company turn around that would be something that the founders would approve of but it turns out that they didn't uh, you know because he displaced them so stuff like that you know that seems very kind of obvious it's not so it was like very important to get you know the the behind the scenes details and then to make sense of that Yeah, did you manage to speak with the new CEO? No, uh Flipkart uh, declined to participate um for the book. Did you think it has anything to do with the Forbes story that after that they became extra careful about uh, who they speak to? So that's that's interesting. I mean, the Forbes story definitely played a big role. So for a lot of the listeners who may not yeah. know, like there was one story that uh, the the founders thought would turn out to be positive but it painted them as an extremely evil and, evil yeah. empire and yeah. uh, you know very unethical yeah. and you know very toxic company yeah, yeah so uh, certainly i think in so that story was published in july to june or july of 2012 so i would say for the first two years after the story certainly like they were you know they were very 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 of uh, uh, you know people that they will speak to especially uh, you know journalists um but i don't think that had any role to play in terms of them deciding to not participate in this book because i think by then um, you know by 2018 the, the forbes story was really kind of a uh, it, it was not a it turned out to be it wrong it turned out to be completely off completely um, and yeah. i mean not just in terms of the prediction but also i think it was a very very kind of um, you know uh, it, it was a bit of a caricature really it was not a accurate portrayal of uh, you know how the company's culture was and you know how these people were so i think that the, the forbes story was while it did have a massive impact at the time it was published i think by 2018 it was not really anything in the scheme of things so i don't think that had a role to play but i would say certainly in the first two years after the story was published mm. it was it did play a very very big role not just in terms of how um, you know the founders perceived and uh, uh, you know uh, interacted with journalists but also just generally in terms of you know how or who they should trust and who they should not trust no absolutely um when you spoke to the employees or stakeholders at flipkart which you i i think spoke to hundreds yeah did you find them scared afraid excited nervous all of the above none of the above um or it varied it 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 certainly varied um but i mean there, there were a few uh, it is quite comical there were a few uh, things common in almost every interaction so one thing was that uh, you know almost everyone i spoke to who worked at flipkart felt that they had done the best work of their careers over there 
and they had had the worst exits of their careers over there they were very very embittered by the time they that they left flipkart and all of them you know felt that their contribution was pivotal to the company without them the company would have been nothing and yet they were just completely discarded uh, you know without any kind of without any kind of you know meaningful notice yeah some of the um, exits which you talk about in the book were quite unpleasant i would say absolutely but you know the interesting thing for me was you know this company just managed to uh, you know create this kind of a culture where every employee thought that you know they are just doing like some amazing work and you know they are really valued and you know the company won't run without them so i think it it it, it it's it's an i mean it's it's comical for me as an outsider to think that you know anyone would think that or everyone would think that their contributions were pivotal and without them you know the company would have failed or you know would have collapsed but i think it does tell you about the kind of culture that the bunsers were able to Uh, you know tell us more because uh, this this the same thing is extremely positive where some people or or everyone thinks that without them there's no flip card which means exactly. that they did do great work as you oh, as absolutely. you mentioned absolutely they did i mean yeah. my my uh, getting this is super hard for companies by the way exactly yeah. right i mean like how many companies you know like i spoke to more than i like i think more than 100 flip card employees uh that's a pretty large number for most of them to think you know that their contributions were pivotal and that they did the best best work of their careers at flipkart i mean that that just that, that is saying does something. tell you yeah. right about the culture that the company was able to cultivate um so i think the culture the, the flip side is where i think the game of thrones as a reference comes exactly, in very handy exactly right i mean like you said it's exactly like this, that was the flip side because you know yeah. because everyone was so empowered or felt that they were empowered you know obviously individual ambition also grows and you know then it clashes with other individual ambition yeah. so yeah I I I imagine you have watched Game of Thrones, right? I have. Yes. You reference into the book as yes. well. Do you want to like maybe draw a couple of parallels between or some synergies between Game of Thrones uh, and the sure, Undertale? Sure, sure, sure. I I mean I I'll just tell you what you know uh, I heard from Flipkart employees, right? Yeah. So basically, you know, Game of Thrones is like you know who will become king, you know, who will wield power. Uh, over here again, it was like you know there were like many Games of Thrones happening at various levels. so at various levels it was like you know no one really knew uh, for sure uh, so even if say someone became a vp you know no one really knew how long this person would last because there were just so many changes at flipkart and you know these changes were not uh, kind of um, caused by say like things that you know a normal person would understand in the sense that you know say if someone was made a vp today i mean 3 months later that person would be out and why that person was out was really not very very clear on like say all occasions so i think because of this kind of uncertainty about you know one's position at the company especially at the top you know especially at say the first two three levels i think there was this constant you know insecurity that everyone over there felt there was this constant um, you know need to secure yourself to secure your position and obviously you know one need to do that is to kind of put down your peers or yeah. you know put down rivals so i mean that you know that that's very game of thrones that is right? very yeah exactly yeah. right um, but i also think it's a, it's a, it's kind of a flawed analogy because i think over here at flipkart you know there was one man who wielded power and that was leaf excel who was the flipkart board member and the tiger global managing director so i think from that point of view it was very clear that you know while um, he did not run the company as such but eventually he was the most powerful man over there yeah and what he wanted influenced events in a very very big way. even though he had an extremely close relationship as you point out in the book with sachin bansal absolutely yeah yeah so uh, so that's what i said right so it's it's not as if he was running the company i mean there, there was this uh, uh, you know kind of uh, uh, perception in the startup world uh, from say 2011 until 2016 17 that you know leaf excel was running flipkart that is completely untrue you know he is actually one of those investors who did not get involved in operations who did not tell people what to do for for most part of flipkart so from that point of view certainly he was very very supportive of you know sachin and bini uh, you know for most for the most part but when uh, you know flipkart started losing ground when flipkart was in trouble he really stepped in in a big way that's when he showed his ruthless side i think the move to send uh, kalyan was also absolutely it was yeah. completely orchestrated by leaf excel yeah um, multiple times 
Um, not the first time as such. The first time, actually, you know, even the Flipkart founders were very, very in favor of bringing him on board because he he was a finance expert and you know their finance function was in, struggling under the person they hired. Exactly, it was in a mess, and you know they really needed to fix it because I mean, while you know uh, as a startup you can afford to kind of have loose controls or you know not that uh, while you are not so focused on maintaining you know these functions like legal and finance in a very very kind of structured way as you grow you have to do that you know otherwise i mean i mean you're, you're going to collapse so i think they were very very supportive of bringing him on board the first time he came in certainly not the second time i mean second time he was really forced upon them in a way so when did start uh, things start going south because he came in he delivered which basically made the founders look good i would imagine yeah. uh, to some people yeah um what's what was the key lesson there so I think it, it started going wrong in 2015 in a very, very big way. So until 2014, um, you know, Flipkart was really by far the clear market leader. I mean, you know, Snapdeal and Amazon were there, but they were not, uh, you know, running Flipkart close. Also a very um, different business model, as you point out. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, they, they did have uh, different business models, but even if you look at the market overall, right. uh, you know, they were not really very close to Flipkart. Then I think Flipkart, you know, so, so uh, again, just to go back a bit, uh, so Sachin was like really the main man at Flipkart from the time it started in 2007 until the end of 2012. Um, and then, you know, there was the setback uh, at the end of 2011 because of which, uh, you know, it, it really affected him and he kind of stepped back a bit and then he stepped back completely at the end of 2012. And then that's when Vinny took over. He was really running the company on a day-to-day -day For the basis. first time. For the first time, uh, without Sachin, really. Um, and, you know, that was also the time when Kalyan was there. So, uh, so basically, this period from 2013 until the end of 14 was really like the Vinny and the Kalyan, uh, you know, phase at Flipkart. And then, you know, Sachin was very, very eager to get back into the game. He wanted to run things his, his way. And, you know, he always thought of himself as a, as a technologist. Um, and Flipkart as a technology company, exactly. not an e-commerce company. Absolutely. So he thought of Flipkart as a tech company, as a tech platform. That is, you know, they're, they're doing commerce, but it's really like technology that is driving it rather than, uh, you know, sales or the sense of, uh, you know, get, just getting like some, uh, like achieving your numbers or something. So he really believed in the power of technology and he wanted to make Flipkart into a technology company. Whereas under Bini and Kalyan, Flipkart had become like a classic retail firm, you know, that buys uh, from uh, distributors, wholesalers and brands, uh, you know, is very clever in knowing what to buy and then, you know, sells uh, stuff to customers and, you know, just like doing that very, very efficiently and just growing your sales just by figuring out what should we sell to customers uh, and just keeping uh, selling more and more goods to your existing customers and getting right. new customers. Yeah. So that's a very, like, you know, retail company mindset. Sachin whereas you know, wanted to convert Flipkart into a tech company. So then he came back into the driver's seat again in twenty by the end of twenty fourteen and what was it Flipkart two point or three point Flipkart three point yeah. so so the, so the first fell of Flipkart which was when you know Sachin was the main man of Flipkart one point then the second when Vinny and Kalyan were Flipkart two point that was two point and this would be three point where you know Flipkart would really become the Alibaba of India uh, you know it would become this giant tech platform that facilitates. Uh, you know, commerce. Uh, so his idea was that, you know, Flipkart should not be selling anything directly to cu customers. Flipkart should, I mean, there are like so, there are millions of, you know, retailers in India. And then Sachin believed that, uh, you know, now India has that ecosystem of sellers and logistics companies that if you can just connect, you know, logistics companies to sellers and then, you know, you just connect customers to sellers on your platform, you just need to do that. A you bit just, like Snapdeal. Exactly. That that is quite funny. So and I love how how much in depth you go in this uh, uh, in this Flipkart versus Snapdeal business models. Right, exactly. So I mean, but but there was one key difference, you know. So Sachin's belief was that uh, you know at the time that Flipkart started, there was really no e-commerce market in India. It was like just it was too insignificant to talk about. So Flipkart really had to do everything by itself. Like you know, it had to sell goods directly because it wanted to sell original. Uh, you know, genuine products to cu customers. Um, and, you know, how do you get these products to customers? There was no ecosystem of logistics companies that were used to working, you know, at a very, very, uh, like in, in that fast and efficient manner that Flipkart wanted. So Flipkart really had to do all these things itself. But by 2014, 
he believed that because you know the e-commerce ecosystem in india had really developed over the past 7 years and flipkart had really led this development um he believed that now there are enough numbers of sellers there are enough numbers of people buying online and there are enough you know these suppliers like logistics companies and you know software providers etc etc that flipkart now all flipkart needs to do is just kind of integrate all these things by using its technology so he really thought you know that now the time has come to really be a marketplace model so that we like india already has a massive retail market you know so why try and do everything yourself and e-commerce is a very small part of it even today it's a very small part yeah. of it and one of the reasons that he believed was that because you know e-commerce has largely developed through retail in the sense that you know the e-commerce companies that were large were buying and selling goods to customers so obviously you know if you do everything yourself that limits your ability to grow so his belief was that why don't we just utilize the retailers that are already out there but bring them online so for instance if i'm sitting in bombay uh, in santa cruz in santa cruz west i mean you know there are in in my uh, neighborhood there would be at least you know say 10 to 15 stores hmm. so instead of and they would have a lot of products of course they would have products their own products so what flipkart can do is aggregate all these products so a cu- customer in santa cruz west places an order rather than flipkart deliver delivering it from its warehouse you know way out of bombay or you know on the outskirts of bombay why doesn't this flipkart get stock uh, uh, you know show present stock of retailers in santa cruz yeah. that are already there and then connect a logistics uh, company in bombay a local logistics company to the seller who can just pick up the goods from the seller and deliver it to the person who's ordered it in santa cruz west yeah. so it, it was this you know this like really uh, futuristic idea of this very hyper local uh, tech ecosystem makes sense right on but, paper but, on paper yes on paper it makes sense i mean yeah. it's it's perfect right i mean you know i mean if you just listen to it it's like yeah of course you know i mean yeah super intuitive yeah yeah but the problem is that um first of all there was no uh, like the logistics ecosystem in india was still very very rudimentary it was not uh, you know large enough it was not efficient enough to support this kind of vision um, you know in fact that was one of the big lessons that flipkart had figured out in its early years and that's what they had tried to solve for and they had succeeded in solving for that but by 2015 while such in thought that now there is a very very evolved ecosystem that was just not true because we did not have the kind of sellers the kind of uh, you know product range the kind of logistics uh, service that you require to deliver what such and wanted so why flipkart tried to do this its brand took a hit because uh, you know all kinds of uh, board also was not very kind to this actually you know the board was completely the, the board completely went with it in 2015 um and until the end of 2015 they did not do anything they let you know this play out it was only at the end of 2015 when they saw that flipkart's brand has taken a big hit because you know all these e-commerce companies they have this metric called nps which is net promoter score which is and which is a metric that measures the customer satisfaction of of a particular company that metric was taking a big hit sales were not growing new customers were not coming in droves anymore all these things pointed to very very clear to a very very clear uh, you know picture that the vision was flawed mm-hmm. we do not have that ecosystem of sellers and logistics companies mm. that can deliver you know sachin's vision of this very futuristic uh, technology platform yeah and that is when the board stepped in and that is when leaf excel was particularly brutal about getting his way yeah um for the majority of flipkart's tenure flipkart's uh, uh, origin or growth or whatever uh, the co-founders had excellent relationships correct um so yeah so that again that was you know one of the most interesting things about uh, tracking the story because so when they started our starter flipkart they were not really the best of friends uh, you know they so they had this group of eight in uh, the ngv apartment complex in koramangala and bangalore so they were not the best of friends in that group but they were the only two people who were very very inclined towards internet entrepreneurship and you know they both because they saw amazon uh, because they worked at amazon they saw you know how amazon had become a massive company especially sachin 
they wanted to do an e-commerce company in India. So I think they started off in this way, you know, that they were more like very, very close business partners rather than very, very close personal friends. And then of course, you know, because um, Flipkart went through so much in its first two years, I mean, you know, they came very close to shutting down, they came very close to selling out, they came very close to giving up. And, you know, they were, they were kind of, they, they faced a lot of like trouble, which, I do, which, you know, most companies starting out would not because they struggled to convince any of their friends and acquaintances to join them. All venture capital firms t- turned them down for the first 18 months. So that really did bring them closer, you know, because they went through this uh, trouble period together and they emerged out of it. So I think their uh, close relationship was really forged in the first two, three years of Flipkart. Yeah. And until 2014, it was great. They were, they were both, you know, always on the same page about where they wanted to take Flipkart. Both of them wanted to, you know, uh, uh, really like create a massive internet company in India. And then, you know, in 2015, when Sachin attempted this radical transformation of Flipkart, it was not clear what Vinny thought of it. Yeah. You know, like, of course, Vinny went along with the vision. But... As he had many times in the past. He had many times in the past, but this was a particularly radical, you know, move by Sachin. You know, to, to like just move from a technology company uh, to to try and become a technology company from a retailer. I mean, so uh, even by the standard of past pivots, you thought that this was particularly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even that billion dollar target seemed quite intense to me. Absolutely, that was. But uh, you know, it was it was about the the size of the ambition at that time. Over here, more than the size of the ambition. You know, it was about how do we fulfill this ambition. So I think the the problem really, I think, was like among them was really that Sachin wanted to reach this hundred billion goal in this way. Of course, the hundred billion goal itself was his own, you know, target that he set for Flipkart, and you know that this is where he excelled because he really could imagine the improbable and not imagine. Uh, the improbable in a very, very, you know, casual or a, you know, thoughtless way, in a very, very serious way. And, you know, he was very, very sincere about, you know, achieving the targets that he had set. And he had, you know, the credibility because, you know, he had set the, the 1 billion target in and 2011 and achieved it far ahead of time, one year yeah. ahead of time. You know, it was it was just incredible, right? So he had the credibility. He could see the future and everyone knew that. But now, when you know, he made this 100 billion target and you know, he set the the blueprint for achieving it. I think the problem really was that the blueprint was so radical that, you know, while everyone went along with Sachin because he had the credibility and, you know, Flipkart was really at its peak at that time in terms of everything in fundraising, in terms of the market position, etc. I think a lot of people deep down were not convinced by it. You know, they went along with it because here was Sachin who had been proved to be a visionary, he's saying this, he has a credibility, he's a CEO, let's go with it. And I think through 2015, you know, people inside Flipkart also weren't really sure what Vinny made of it. Because he never, you know, publicly was a big proponent of this vision. He was always like, he was always in the shadows when this vision was being, you know, put into Mm -hmm. life. So it was not very clear what he made of it. And then at the end of 2015, when it was decided that Vinny would become CEO, he really went a long way towards dismantling the vision yeah. in the next, you know, five months that he, uh, after he became CEO. It's unclear whether their friendship still stood there. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it is, it is really not clear because uh, he also went out of his way to ensure that Sachin was not a part of the day-to-day activities at Flipkart. And that really surprised a lot of people who knew him because he was always considered this... Uh, you know, the not, operations uh, operations guy and also like he was also kind of considered to be you know I, I wouldn't say meek necessarily but in terms of you know he would defer to Sachin and here he was after becoming CEO just completely taking control you know completely enjoying the limelight uh, you know like putting Sachin like making sure that you know Sachin is now like no longer associated with the day to day running of Flipkart so the fact that you know he really came into his own when he became CEO that surprised a lot of people and that certainly had an impact on his relationship with Sachin and then you know over the next 
uh, one year uh, after Kalyan Krishnamurthy came into Flipkart and then he was made CEO in, 20, in January of 2017. Again, it was not clear, you know, what, like, what the relationship was between Sachin and Bini. They were certainly not as close as they were, uh, you know, before uh, all this started. And then, um, you know, also because, like, Kalyan became CEO and Bini assented to it. Whereas Sachin's opinion wasn't even sought on the matter. Yeah. So, so Sachin was very, very angry about, um, you know, this turn of events. And then, of course, at the end, um, you know, what happened was that they fell apart. And, uh, you know, Sachin, like, Bini did not support Sachin in his desire to return uh, as CEO. Despite the multiple rounds of coaching, which is mentioned. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so one of the interesting things was that, um, you know, until the very end, they were, they had almost always been on the same page about where they wanted to take Flipkart and about their roles inside the company. But then by the end, it had become clear that, you know, for Sachin, the Walmart sale was a fresh start. Like he looked at it as, you know, okay, so Walmart is going to come in, they're going to become the majority investor, they're going to become the main investor, Tiger Global is not. And I'm again going to come back into yeah. the CEO's position or into the driver's seat. And I will again, you know, resume my pursuit of the 100 billion goal in the way that I want. Yeah. Whereas Bini saw the Walmart sale as a kind of, you know, gratifying end to their struggles. Like they had been active for, you know, more than 12 um, years. Yeah, almost years, 12 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, so he really saw it as the end. Uh, you know, now enough. Like now I want to, uh, like I think Flipkart has reached its, uh, you know, conclusion as an independent company. We are getting a superb exit. I'm going to become a billionaire. I want to enjoy this. I want to savor the moment. Whereas again, you know, Sachin was actually uh, considering and he had started talks to double his stake in Flipkart after the Walmart sale. Yeah. So, you know, they this put, literally putting the, uh, his money where the mouth is. Exactly. Right? So, you know, these are completely disparate uh, points of views. And I think this was one of the main reasons that they fell apart. The other was, of course, you know, how they saw each other contributing to Flipkart. Like, again, Sachin thought that it was... Um, like it was extremely important that he returned to the driver's seat at Flipkart because you know to really become a massive internet company, Flipkart should do certain things that it wasn't. So he believed that he was key, he was indispensable to Flipkart. Whereas Bini did not. Bini did not think that Sachin was indispensable to Flipkart. Bini believed that you know Sachin now should step back. He should just be chairman. He should be associated with the company, but he should not be running things. So that is, you know, and Bini was very happy to leave Flipkart. Uh, so I think this difference of opinion, again, had a very, very big role to play. Yeah. And, and again, like we're coming towards the close of the interview, but uh, just a couple of more questions. Pure speculation. Do you know if there's any uh, insight about their relationship today? They're not on speaking terms. Um, yeah. They, I mean, yeah, they are not on speaking terms. Um the other speculation or suggestion, because you've studied this company in so much detail, um, many other Indian companies hopefully will do as well as they have. Um, do you have any suggestions for, for them to manage culture, to manage power struggles? Um, so, honestly, you know, I, I don't think I'm equipped to give... Based on your... Right? But yeah, sure, yeah. like, I, you know, like, just uh, about Flipkart, uh, you know, just going by Flipkart. In terms of managing the culture... Um, so, you know, like in many ways, the Flipkart culture was very, very positive uh, and very, very empowering for its employees because like we were discussing earlier, you know, many, many of the Flipkart employees, especially in the first four to five years, felt that they had done the best work of their careers over there. And, you know, that's that's a great feeling, right? I mean, everyone should obviously feel that, should have that kind of opportunity to really, you know, discover like how good they are and prove how good they are. So that was one very you know, positive aspect of the culture. But I think one of the really brutal aspects of the culture was that, you know, Flipkart really discarded people far too easily. I mean, there was no attempt to integrate people. There was no attempt to, you know, um, uh, provide new skills to people who have proven themselves. But say if, you know, there's, there's this person who's working in the tech team, he's been a fantastic contributor, uh, you know, to your success for two years. But now because the company has you know, really like reached a certain scale, you believe that he may not be able to deliver at that scale. Instead of trying to find a new role or instead of, um, you know, trying to uh, uh, kind of educate them in terms of new skills, Flipkart just like cut them loose. And, you know, it was really, really brutal. 
and you know in a way if you look at um, Sachin and Vinny's exits they were consumed by this culture themselves at the end you know so while it was like very very sad but it was the culture that they had you know created at the company that once it becomes clear that you know what like you are not so important and I'm, I'm done with you yeah. so i think you have to be mindful that you know there are more like while of course you know success is important while uh, scale valuation funding all of that is important i think in 2019 2020 you cannot build a company that is just ruthless you know you have to have you have to have a certain humane aspect to your culture which i think is very important and which for me was one of the most striking things about flipkart that you know for a very long time it had had a very brutal culture at the top at least you know at the top 2 3 levels and i don't think that is necessarily a very very positive thing at least from an employee's perspective for uh, for the time you were writing this book you were also doing pieces uh, long form pieces for mint yeah how did you manage your schedules yeah that that was very difficult so i i took a sabbatical of about 3 months uh, where i was only working on the book um and my uh, my publication was extremely supportive uh, you know of this project so yeah so i i can't thank them enough um and especially my editor so yeah, your edit mint mint editor the mint editor yeah right. so that was that was really really nice of them uh but yeah for most of the time i was working on the book i was also uh, you know doing mint stories so it was challenging but i mean it's just you know you just kind of uh, it, it it's just about discipline um uh, so you decide that you know you're going to work for say you're going to do mint work for say 7 to 8 hours a day and you're going to do the book work for another 7 to 8 hours every day so it took you around 14 to 16 hours for a chunk of oh yeah yeah absolutely uh, for most of the uh, one year that i spent working on the book yeah um was it taxing any what did you do to sort of uh, overcome the writer's block if you believe in that at all Um, so I think in non-fiction, at least, you know, I mean, uh, I think the writer's block, while while uh, you know, a lesser uh, a kind of uh, of a lesser intensity. I mean, you may come across a writer's block of letter, lesser in, in, intensity, but it it is not so much of a big deal in non-fiction. Um, so for me, it was it was certainly exhausting and it was taxing, um, but it was also like it 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 also was very very rewarding. uh because you know the 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 kind of thing that i like that we were able to produce by the end like i was very happy with it because i had not thought okay. that you know we would be able to produce a book of this quality when i started out so i i think it was completely worth the effort but yeah it takes a lot of discipline i mean there's a lot of self doubt uh you know in the process a lot of kind of thinking that you know you're on the wrong track you're going to be laughed at etc etc so you know it's it's just about like a, a lot of times you have to trick yourself into thinking that you know you are making progress so for instance you know there would be these uh, days when i just would not be able to write uh, anything of value but i would just type out garbage i mean uh, you know i would just write for the sake of it i would finish so i i had a certain quota that i wanted to do every day in terms of the words so i would what was it um so uh, depending on the period like so so for some days it was 400 500 on some days it was about 600 to 800 yeah so it varied so flexible but roughly yeah yeah, yeah. but I, i was sure that every single day i have to write at least something so and on some days i really would not be able to you know produce anything of value because i would just be too exhausted but then i would still go ahead and write anyway and then i realized it was extremely counterproductive because i would spend the next day just you know like uh, eliminating it and just reworking it and you know then fixing it mm-hmm. but it was also very helpful because you know once i figured out uh, i mean that that part you know where i was really unable to move forward where i had to just like write something if i hadn't done that then i mean it would have probably taken me a lot longer because it would have really drained uh you know my self confidence so i just like uh, you know yeah so while it was counterproductive in a way yeah it also helped to uh, yeah move me along and just to keep me like you know there yeah well this has been fascinating any parting advice to writers or you want to share about your upcoming projects uh... um sure so i think uh, one uh, piece of advice i would give is that do not write a book for the money um <laughs> you know because yeah you will be disappointed um just you know just try and be very very true to what you really want to do 
with the book um, because only write a book if you're completely serious, uh, you know, about and and also if you're completely sold by the idea yourself, um, you know, because there is no point in getting into a book project if you're not completely serious and do know that you know you will not uh, get a lot of financial rewards for it. So you know you I think you should really do the book because you really believe in it. Yeah, the pursuit is the pleasure. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, this book that you've written is the book of the month for Network Capital. Thank so you we're so going to be reading it together as a large global community. Right. And uh, this podcast will go out to about 100,000 people. Thank you very much for your time. We truly appreciate it. It was great being here.